Welcome to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb, helping you find purpose and joy in your life and relationships. For more teaching and resources, visit LargerStory.com. Correction, I hate skiing. To me, it's just a hassle. I don't see why you take all the time to put on the boots and all that sort of thing, but um, my wife likes it, so I yield to her wishes like any authentic man. My thanks, too, to Nav Press. Let me just say that by way of introduction. Um, They have done a lot of work for this seminar. I have the easy job. I just come here and talk for the day. But all the background work has been done by their really excellent team. And Susan Pinnell has been mentioned as the one who's been uh, carrying the burden of this. When we first planned the seminar, we first talked about this. I'm not sure how long ago it was. and talked about doing a seminar on the title Authentic Manhood. We had no idea how many folks were going to come. We anticipated just that wild guesswork level, maybe about 100 or thereabouts, and we have well over 300 in the room today. The amount of chairs we have set up in this room are 350, and it looks like they're pretty well filled. So 350 men are sitting in this room, and I'd like to know why. What is going on, do you suppose? What is going on inside of us? Um, What you're going to be getting today from me is the first run, as Molly mentioned, the first run of a few ideas that have been developing in my mind over the past six months. For the past six months, I've been reading books. I've read the obvious books that most of us are familiar with, or at least many in our culture are. Robert Bly's Iron John, Sam Keen's Fire in the Belly, and there's a new book coming out every month on the topic of manhood, and I'm trying to keep up a little bit, at least by way of reading reviews, if not the actual books. And I've read a bunch of articles. I've talked to a fair number of people And I think I've filled more yellow pads of paper with scribbles that have been incoherent as I look back over them. I have a file with about 150 sheets of yellow paper with my scribbles all over them, trying to figure out what is this elusive concept that all of us are supposed to come by naturally. What does it mean to be a man? What is it? Why are so many men into this men's movement today. Why is the phenomena, and I think this is one of the major cultural phenomena of our day, the fact that there are uh, currently over 200 universities, mentioned in your little handout there, over 200 universities that have the topic of men's studies. What's the question? What's the stuff that's happening down deep inside of us that makes us question uh, what manhood is? Look around the room. See if you think there's anybody here that ought to be asking the question, what is manhood? See if you think that anybody might think of you as somebody who'd be asking the question, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be masculine? At one level, the question really is rather um, rather stupid, isn't it? All of us know we're not women. And very few of us wish we were. We're glad we're men. We function as men. Everything we do, we do as males. What does it mean to be truly masculine? Is it not true that if we were to look beneath the surface of each of our lives, that most of us would have some intuitive awareness that there's something going on beneath the surface that's not the way it ought to be? Would you all agree with that? That there's something going on beneath the surface that simply is not the way it's supposed to be. And I would suggest that every now and then something comes up in our lives, and maybe it's come up in your life recently, and maybe that's why you're here today. Every now and then, something comes up in our lives that unnerves us. 
Some event comes up in our lives that makes us realize that the things that we've been depending on for our sense of feeling okay about ourselves, the things that we've been depending on for our sense of masculinity, whatever that means to us, the things that we've been depending on become apparent that they really are doing nothing more than giving us enough power to keep people at a safe distance. They're giving us enough power not only to keep people at a safe distance, but maybe even more importantly, to protect us, see if this makes sense to you, to protect us from those situations and those encounters in life that are going to expose a deeply fearful part of us that just has no idea what we're doing. Do you all have pockets like that? Do you all have a little pocket in your life that you're just determined that no one's going to find, that no situation is going to expose this pocket of felt incompetence? For the last um, five or six weeks, partly in preparation for today, I've been involved in running a men's group. About 10 or 11 men get together every Tuesday at 6 up in the Denver area. And I've been meeting with these guys for the last six or seven weeks, and we've been talking about issues of manhood. And in that group, and I've asked the guys' permission to talk about them, not by name, of course, but by way of uh, unchanged stories, one of the men in this group just last week was saying that, um, that, that he's coming to grips for the first time in his life, and I suppose this gentleman's been in his middle-late 30s, He's coming to grips for the first time in his life that he has no idea what it means to be a man in the rich sense of the term in relating to his wife. He said almost with tears, he was just about trembling, as he said that for years my wife has been saying to me that I'm a passionless person and she feels nothing coming out of me toward her that connects with her soul at all. I wonder how many of our wives would say the same thing. And he said that when he comes home from work, what his wife has often said to him for years a comment will come up along the line of, when you come home, you don't really come home. When you come home, I don't feel your presence, your involvement at all. And um, his response maybe parallels mine and yours at times. He's been saying to his wife for some time, he said, well, honey, and listen to how lame this sounds. Interesting. If we had a list of lame excuses that men give, I think it would be terrific. could be a whole book, a bestseller, likely. And his response was, well, honey, it's just very hard to shift from the business mode to the family mode. Does that make sense? Is that what's going on? Is it just a matter of a shift? And he said with a little bit of passion that was somewhat new for him, he said this. He said, um, one thing I've become aware of is that there's more involved than just shifting from business mode to family mode. i become aware that there's nothing in my soul that feels deeply alive toward anything or anyone. I feel empty. I feel alone. There's nothing inside of me that knows how to move toward another person. There's something wrong with how I as a man am moving toward others and I don't know what it is. Now you're talking with that guy as a friend. What are you going to say next? How are you going to help him? What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean? How is a man supposed to move toward his wife when he comes home from work? Why do so many men have trouble doing that? I have two sons. One is with us today, my younger boy, who is um, going to get married next summer. Going to be introduced to the another level of opportunity. <laughs> to fail. And maybe another level of opportunity to experience some joys that not many do. How many folks in this room have sons? Raise your hands. How many of you, and don't raise your hand for this one, but how many of you feel confident that you know what it means to teach your boy how to become a man? 
How many of you take time to go for long walks, spend weekends together, write letters, interact over uh, an evening, and spend time thinking through, son, what it means to be a man is X, Y, and Z. Watch me as I model it. There's a tough one. And let me communicate to you what's involved. Think in, think in terms, and when I think this way, it's a rather embarrassing, difficult thought, but think in terms of, 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 of what kind of communication we've given to our sons as to what we think manhood is all about. Isn't it largely the obvious kind of things that we'd all pick, whether or not the grades are good, whether the opportunity for a decent job is good, whether or not the girl that he picks is decent enough looking so that our grandkids are going to be attractive? Is there not a whole lot of... These are not a whole lot of understandings that our kids pick up from us as to what manhood is really all about. What does it mean to be a deep man? What is authentic manhood? What is true masculinity? Let me tell you what I hope will be our mood today as we spend um, a lot of hours just interacting. And by the way, you're all aware that in a group this size that, um, uh, that the day is going to be me talking to you. And think how differently you'd feel if this were a very different format. Think how differently it'd feel if this were a small group, if we were breaking up into a whole bunch of small groups of six or seven men and all began sharing our own personal struggles. What happens to your stomach as you think about doing that? Isn't that a very different experience than sitting in a room where you know you're not going to have to say a thing about yourselves? It's a much more comfortable thing. But what I'm hoping that you'll do as the day progresses, I'm hoping that as I, as I tell some stories... And as I introduce another gentleman who's going to come up this afternoon and talk a little bit about his own life and his own struggle toward finding manhood, as I tell some stories about myself, as I hear somebody else share a little bit, I'm hoping that you'll engage yourself with the material in far more than a cognitive sort of a way. I have a lot of thoughts that I trust will be conceptually interesting and provocative and make us think in different ways that might be helpful, but this day is going to, be, um, it's going to fall far short of what I think its potential could be if we don't somehow allow ourselves to engage personally. And gentlemen, that's tough. That is really, really tough. You ever been around professional athletes? I've had some time to be around some professional athletes, and these guys that have all the trappings of, of real manhood are terrified to deal openly with their lives. As I was lecturing to a group of professional athletes just a little while ago, I looked around the room of husbands and wives, and all the guys were professional athletes, and every one of the guys was staring at me a lot like you are, <laughs> blank-faced, and there's a mood of you're not going to get in. Now, I'm not, that's not what I'm perceiving as I look around this room, but it certainly was what I perceived as I looked around that room. You're not going to get in. There are parts of me that I'm going to keep to myself that no one's ever going to see. I've chosen to hide, to destroy, to kill certain parts of who I am. Let me... Um, develop a beginning focus for our day by telling you a story about me. The handout that you have, we're not onto the handout yet. This is all preamble. When we get there, I'll let you know. Let me tell you a little story about what happened with myself and my wife last Sunday to give you a focus for the kind of issues that I hope we can think about and address today. Last Sunday, I arrived home from Memphis. I was on a business trip doing a seminar in Memphis. And I got home around um, 1 o'clock, thereabouts, 1 or 2. My wife was in Buena Vista for the weekend, involved in a ministry there of her own. And uh, she wasn't due home till maybe 5 or 6 that evening. About 3 o'clock, the phone rang, and my wife had gone from Buena Vista by way of Frisco, where she had stopped, and uh, called me from our place there and said, um, I'm in Frisco, and I'll be home in about an hour and 10 minutes. 
And I said, well, how was the weekend? And that delayed the arrival time by a fair period. (laughs) Because when I asked her how was the weekend, she went into an exhaustive explanation of everything that happened the weekend. She had had a tremendous time. She had had a really wonderful time. And for about 20 minutes on the phone, long distance, she was explaining to me every detail of the weekend and really excited about it. What am I feeling inside as my wife is talking about her wonderful weekend, thoroughly engaged, thrilled to be sharing it with me? And I'm inside thinking, this is really inefficient. If she'd hang up the phone and drive home, she'd be home in an hour and ten minutes maybe, and we could sit together and I could look at her and not pay a phone bill and I could hear all the details, we could have dinner together and I could be doing something while I'm listening, all sorts of possibilities. (laughs) But you've all been in a situation like that, and um, you know that it's not wise to speak real bluntly, so... So what I said to her after about 15, 20 minutes of her sharing me these details, which I really was interested in, you know, a fair number of them I really was, in, was, was listening to and interested in as the ball game was on. And, um, and she said, uh, I said to her, I said, well, honey, you know, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be better if you came home and then I could, you know, we could be together and I could look at you and we could, uh, you know, hug and kiss and you could tell me all this stuff. Why don't you come on home and we'll talk about it all when you get here. Now, what happened inside of her when I said that? Oh, this is terrific. My man wants to see me. He wants me to come home. He wants me to be with him. That is not at all what she thought. She, uh, we, we hung up at that point within a few moments of a, you know, a pleasant interchange. There were no fireworks of any sort, but we hung up, and she drove home. And she got home about an hour and 45 minutes later, and I went out to the garage to meet her when I heard the garage door go up, and I went out. And, I, and you, all, you all know what it's like, don't you? you, you guys who are married. This will, by the way, not just for married men, the seminar today, but some illustrations will be about that to bring out points that apply to all of us, married or single. But um, as, she, as she came in the garage and I, and I met her and gave her a hug, I saw the big smile. My wife's a gorgeous lady with a very infectious, wonderful smile, and I kind of gave her a big hug, and, and I just knew something wasn't right. Something inside, the hug wasn't as, as tight as it should have been, or the smile had a little bit of something else to it besides joy. And uh, we embraced, and she came in, and we sat down, we talked, went out for dinner with my son and his fiance, who was visiting with us this last weekend. And, um, and everything was great, but I just knew that things were not quite as they should be. Now, when you're aware of that, when you're in a situation, whether it's with your boss, whether it's with your friends, or particularly when it's with your wife, or even when it's with your kids, and you're aware something is not as it should be inside of you, what goes on? Do you feel thrilled to be alive as a man? Do you regard that as an opportunity to move with an energy of soul that deeply is bound up in what it means to be a man to pass life into this situation? Is that how you think? Me neither. It never occurs to me for a moment to think that way. That's just not what's on my mind at all. My wife was uh, there. We were chatting. We had a good dinner. We go home. And, um, and I'm looking for something later that evening. It's about 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock perhaps, and I'm looking for something. And I, uh, I, I asked a question. I said, honey, uh, do you know where such and such is. And her response, and I don't know if I can mimic it very well, but her response was basically, well, it's where it always is. And I picked up that she was a little irritated. (laughs) I'm trained to pick up on things like that. And and I remember just internally, just, it just makes you mad. Something inside of you just freezes. You just don't, gee, it's what she could have said was, uh, honey, I think it's probably up in the other room where we usually keep it. Maybe you could check there. Why couldn't she put it that way? 
Why must you say, well, it's where it always is? So we always keep it. And it just irritated me. And for the next hour and a half or hour, as we were watching TV, I really didn't talk much. Like every normal man, I retreated. I didn't know what to do about it. Later that evening, as we went upstairs and went to bed, my wife um, said to me, she said, you seem really tired. You okay? Now, what do you say at that point, gentlemen? Yeah, that's all. I'm just tired. You go to bed and figure, yeah, if I bring it up, it's going to cause a hassle. And we've had hassles before. They've never been productive. So maybe the best thing to do is kind of ignore the situation. Tomorrow morning, we'll feel better. We've got a good marriage. We're in love. 25 years. It's all right. It'll be all right. But I was working on this miserable manhood stuff. <laughs> and it occurred to me that maybe maybe um, another approach was what I was going to be talking about this Saturday. So I decided to try a little bit. And I, and I said to her when she said, do you feel okay? You seem kind of tired. And I said, no, to tell you the truth, I'm not tired. I'm mad. I'm kind of ticked off, frankly. And um, her response was, well, what, what, what about? And I said, well... Earlier this evening, maybe, and at this point, I'm feeling like an incredibly fragile person. Why would something as small as this get to me? And I'm, I'm beginning to disrespect my masculinity. I'm saying that it seems to me that I should be able to take a punch like that without crying ouch. I should be able to have my wife say something a little bit unkind. She wasn't vicious, just a little moment, and then she was fine. And she was smiling the rest of the evening. We were chatting. I wasn't chatting much, but she was. And it was just kind of a, a normal, nice evening. But internally, something inside of me had closed up. And I found myself really being angry with this woman that I made a covenant to love 25 years ago. I felt really angry. And when she asked what was happening, and I decided to share with her that I was angry, and she said, what about? Actually, what her first words were, what did I, what did I do wrong? Isn't that sad? What did I do wrong? In other words, you have a scale, obviously, Larry. And when I fall off the scale, when I fall off what you're supposed to do, then somehow I'm going to get it. What you want me to do when I, when I vary from that, there's something inside of me that cringes because you're going to get it. I'm going to get it from you. So I said, well, you know, I just didn't understand why when I made a comment about where is such and such, why you couldn't have said, I think it's upstairs, dear. As opposed to, it's where it always is. And I said, what that tells me, and forgive me if I'm trying to play psychologist here, honey, but what that tells me is you're, you're a little hacked off. You know, it always bothers me. She gets me for free and doesn't appreciate it. <laughs> That's not a winning line, gentlemen, with your wives. But when I said to her, um, and I was a little bit irritated because, a little more than a little irritated, but something inside of me just, just closed up in an angry and an angry sense that made me wonder why I'm so fragile. And um, told her I was angry about, about the fact that she had made a comment like that. And I said, I don't know why you couldn't say such and such, why you had to say this. It tells me you're mad. Are you mad at me in some way? Well, <laughs> if you ask your wives if, she's, if they're mad at you, and if your wives have any degree of spunk or openness, you, you need to provide time. We went on till about 12.30 starting at about 11, as my wife explained to me why she was mad. And let me tell you what she said, and I want you to listen to some points out of this that I'm going to hopefully be developing as the day continues. She said to me basically this, Larry, you always seem to me to be in such a rush. When I talked to you on the phone this afternoon, and I was going on, something inside of me said, he's not going to be interested in everything I'm saying. 
And when you said, why don't you come home? What I felt internally was, just like always, the man is moving in a direction. There are things that are important to him, things he wants to accomplish. He does everything rather quickly. When I eat my food, I eat my food very, very quickly. The idea of lingering around a table and chatting for a while strikes me as just not a very good cultural idea. And I like to get up and go do something and get to work on my desk or read the newspaper or something productive like watching TV. I want to get on to things. And there's a movement within me that says, I'd like to move away from certain kind of relational encounters into certain kind of other activities. And she said, that's what you're like a lot. And it's been a pattern with you for a long time. And frankly, when you said that to me on the phone the other day, or just this afternoon, I I felt internally very badly missed. You've got time for a lot of things, but you don't have time for the deepest part of who I am. And she said, let me tell you what happened. When I left Frisco, I stopped at the outlet mall up there. We knew she was going to do that. I sent her a pair of shoes that was in, and she was going to go pick up the shoes. But when you stop at an outlet mall to do one particular thing, my thought is you do that one particular thing and you leave. Her thought is there's other opportunities to explore. And right next to the shoe store where she picked up our son's shoes is a ribbon store. How many of you enjoy going to a ribbon store? Well, she said, I went into that ribbon store because I had to get something for something, some craft project she was making. And she said, you know how much I enjoy going into that ribbon store. And as I walked through that ribbon store, my thought was, I can't take time here. I better get my purchase and get on my way. Otherwise, Larry's going to be angry. And so I said to her, you're terrified of me. She said, yeah. Yeah, I'm really scared of you. And I said... If somebody, had have come, if somebody would have come to you in the ribbon store and said to you right now, how do you feel towards your husband? She said, well, I think I just said that I'm scared. And I said, wouldn't you also have said that you felt hateful? She said, yeah. I said, well, we're doing great. Right now you're scared of me and you hate me. And, I'm, you know, and I write books on how to have a happy marriage. My question for you is this. Given that scenario, what would a real man do at that point? How would authentic manhood show itself at that moment? If you were in my office as a counselee, and I were your marriage counselor, and I've done hundreds of hours, thousands of hours of marriage counseling, and you painted that scenario and you told me, this is what happened last night, and here's your wife sitting here and you're saying, this is what took place, and my wife at that point, sitting on the bed together at about 12.30, little past midnight, she was saying to me, yeah, there's a part of me that at the core of my being is terrified of you, and a part of me that sometimes just hates you. And you were to say to me, there we are, what's your next sentence of me as a marriage counselor? What's the very next sentence every man in the world would say? Do you all agree when I put it in words for you? A lot of you are kind of going like, I know what I'd say. See if I'm getting it right. What am I supposed to do? Is that right? Is that the question? What am I supposed to do now? Gentlemen, now listen to me carefully. I think it's that question, when we ask that question, what am I supposed to do now? I think it's that question that reveals our bad misunderstanding of what it means to be men. Somebody tell me what to do. Where's the playbook? Where's the game plan? What am I supposed to do at this minute in order to accomplish what? 
What am I supposed to do? Everything we do has an agenda. Everything we do has a purpose. What do you suppose the agenda of most men in a tough situation like that is? Your wife looking at you without a drop of warmth in her being. You're feeling none toward her. You're feeling paralyzed with a sense of, I don't know what to do. To accomplish what? What do you want to see happen? You want to do something that's going to thaw the situation? You want to do something that's going to restore a certain equilibrium? You want to do something that's going to have her smile a little bit? That's going to give you a little sense of hope so you can go to bed, so I can go to bed, feeling a little more comfortable with myself. How many of us have anything in our souls at that moment that basically says, what is most deeply going on inside of my wife, and does she have an opportunity because there's something in me that can touch her? Is that how you feel? Sure isn't how I feel. What am I supposed to do? What does manhood look like? And it occurred to me last Sunday as we were in that situation, early Monday morning, it occurred to me that um, there's a lot of situations in the life of every man, every man, where we really don't know what to do. In business, in friendships, financial decisions, purchases, second mortgages decision, decisions with our kids when we hear bad news about our children, the school teacher calls and says your kid's failing. And something inside just cringes. When do we feel most cringing? Is it not when we don't know what to do? As I was listening to um, the wife of a football player say to him in my presence just a couple days ago, my husband seems to freeze up when I get on his case with a certain degree of franticness. When I'm saying, for crying out loud, why can't you? When I do that, this big hulk of a man who Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock knows no fear gets paralyzed. I turned to him and I said, what happens inside of you when you clam up and retreat and get paralyzed? And he looked at me and literally, like a little boy, he said, I don't know what to do. What I want to suggest to you today, my major thesis for the day that we're going to develop in some detail, my major thesis for the day is this, that those moments when we're face-to-face with a tough situation, those moments when we're face-to-face with a tough situation and we have no idea what to do, present us with a unique and surprising opportunity to learn what it means to be men. And if we don't know how to avail ourselves of those opportunities, we're never going to be experienced by our wives, by our sons, by our daughters, by our friends, as men in the richest sense of that term. My wife and I that evening, last Sunday evening, continued talking for over an hour after that impasse, after that difficult point when she felt nothing but fear and hatred toward me. That wasn't easy for me to handle. And usually I handle those kind of times rather badly. I didn't handle it badly last Sunday night. I handled it in a way that I'm going to do my best to communicate to you, believing that there is a way for a man to handle it that's possible to all of us as men. And in the middle of that situation, the way I handled it led, I believe, and forgive this if it sounds boastful, it doesn't feel boastful to me, because my batting average isn't very high. But the way, I, the way I handled it that night led within an hour to a restoration of a deep sense of warmth. And in the core of my being, something felt wonderfully alive. And what it was that felt wonderfully alive in me at that point, I would call a little bit of taste, a little taste of authentic manhood. Now, take your little uh, packet that you've, that you've received... Take your packet and I want you to look with me.
Not that packet. The page that begins introduction. And the second page in. Introduction, purpose of the seminar, why the focus on men's issues. Turn to that page, if you will. A lot of people are saying, a lot of people are reacting to the men's movement in a rather negative kind of a way. There's a fair amount of backlash to the men's movement. A lot of the backlash basically takes a very simple-minded form. Why, why all the fuss? Everyone in this room is a man. We have no women as I look around in, the, in this room. We have 350 men in this room that all know we're men. Why the fuss? Why not just do what comes naturally to us as men? Is it possible that something has gotten twisted inside of us so that when we do what comes naturally, what comes out is not always good? And is it possible that the guide of basically saying, I'm going to do what internally feels right and alive within me as I move toward my wife in this situation, as I move toward this difficulty in her friendship with a guy that doesn't want to relate to me anymore, as I move toward a hard situation at work with my employer, what feels natural, what feels right to me is not what uh, maybe was, is not what ought to be done, maybe is not what expresses true masculinity. A very interesting quote that I have written on your little outline there, a quote by a man named George Gilder who wrote a book in 1973 that's become a little bit of a classic called Sexual Suicide. That was one of the early books and the whole question of the men's movement. And he says this, throughout the literature of feminism, there runs a puzzled complaint, why can't men be men and just relax? The reason is that unlike femininity, relaxed manhood, now underline that phrase, relaxed manhood is at bottom empty. Ponder that. Relaxed manhood when rather than somehow being on duty in a meaningful sense, when there's nothing but a sense of relaxation, when I'm simply doing what comes naturally, when there's no effort to move in a direction by choice, when I simply give what is naturally coming to me to give, relaxed manhood is at bottom bankrupt or empty. I agree with that. Manhood at, its, at the most basic level can be validated and expressed only in action. Now, what does that mean? If you read a lot of the books these days on the differences between men and women, mine included, but a lot of other books are saying it, they're arguing that there does seem to be in the male soul an aggressive component that is simply not there in the woman's soul. There's something about action, something about movement, something about moving into, and think of the sexual metaphor involved, when a man uh, has physical relations with his wife, there's something that's, that gets, has to get strong and moves into an aggressive orientation, and then what comes from the man moves into the woman, not the other way around. The woman receives what the man projects. Manhood, when it's relaxed and doing nothing, is at bottom empty. Manhood, in its true sense, according to George Gilder, can be validated and expressed only in action. Now, what does that mean? Do you agree with that? When do you feel aggressive in a legitimate sense of the term? We all know what it means to feel aggressive illegitimately. I mean, just lose our temper and whack our kids because we're mad? The stories of wife beating obviously are nothing close to what any clear thinker wants to encourage in terms of aggression or action or forward movement or thrusting involvement. We don't want to be talking about that. But is it possible that there's something about aggression, if the word can be used in a good sense, it's often used in a bad sense, is there something about aggression that defines something very central about who you and I are, are as men? 
Hollywood seems to think so. How many have seen City Slickers? Fair number of hands go up. City Slickers is a, a movie that obviously has been very, very popular. It's been very well received, and it's a movie which, which talks about a, uh, a man, Billy Crystal the actor, a man who finds his manhood. It's really a, a, a movie about the men's movement. It's a, it's, it's a movie about a man who finds something about his manhood in a situation that was different from the normal routine of life. Living in the middle of a big city, high-rise apartment, normal three-piece suit type job, wife and a couple of kids, plenty of money, no worries there. He began to say, there's something within me that's not moving out in a way that makes me feel paralyzed, empty, discouraged. And I feel as I go through my life, and as he talks about this in the movie, most men can relate. I feel as I go through my life that there's something missing. There's something about who I am that's just not alive. It's kind of like going through life with your left leg numb. There's a part of you that ought to be functioning that just isn't functioning at all. And Billy Crystal's response was to say, what I'm going to do as a result of my internal sense of deadness, I'm going to try to find some opportunity for me to express a deep, aggressive part of me that feels like it's in prison. And his solution in the movie, and it's a comedy movie, it's a funny movie, his solution was to go on a cattle drive. And in the middle of that cattle drive, he, he had to pull certain things out of himself to deal with things he would never have had to deal with back in the middle of a high-rise apartment in a big city. He had to deal with bad men, kind of the old Wild West outlaw type men. He had to deal with a little calf that fell into a raging current and was going to be drowned. And he had to dive in and rescue that calf. And as he came out of that, as he rescued that calf and was sitting on the bank of the, this particular raging river, just soaking wet, exhausted, freezing, but he had rescued a calf, something inside of him was reflected in his smile that said, there's something within me that's come alive, I feel right, I feel whole, I feel good, I've moved into my world, I've made a difference the way I want to make, and I can go back now to New York as a whole man. Something aggressive, powerful, strong was released. Does that at all communicate with some of you? Y'all feel a certain frustration. Is there something aggressive about who we are as men that we long to have released but just isn't? Do you ever feel like you want to hit somebody? <laughs> when I was in private practice as a psychologist in Boca Raton, Florida for about 10 years, I remember so many mornings going to work, you know, 8 to 5 job basically, just seeing clients all day long, 5 days a week, just like most of us do, go to work 8 to 5. So many mornings, I'd get out of my car, I can remember the parking lot where I'd park my car, had my own little special spot there, walked in the back part of our uh, office building where I had a suite of offices, and I remember saying to myself so many mornings, I wish somebody would come along and, and bump into me, step on my toe, offend me in some way so I could hit them and feel justified. <laughs> Something aggressive powerful, strong, was inside of me that when it comes out, seems to come out in all the wrong ways. But it was released in the movie in Billy Crystal, Hollywood style, and happily ever after is the implication of the story. A friend of mine told me of a conversation that she had with a gentleman just about two weeks ago, a man who was describing to her over lunch his one serious bout with depression in the past number of years. A lot of guys just don't get depressed. I get depressed. A lot of you guys have no idea the meaning of the word. Many of you know what it means in great detail. But this was a guy that just would never struggle with depression. And uh, his father has been very, very depressed for many, many years. And he's determined he never will be. 
Well, one day, a little while ago, some time ago, uh, he woke up in the morning and, uh, and a few things went wrong. A number of appliances, several major appliances didn't work. And for whatever reason, there was a symbolic quality to the things that happened wrong that morning. And for whatever reason, the things that happened produced in him a sense of being impotent and powerless. As he thought about the things that were going wrong, that is, he, if he were to tackle them, it was just more than he wanted to deal with. It wasn't major tragedies. It wasn't, it wasn't major illness or death of a loved one. It was just a couple of big hassles at a given moment that internally something just came together and he felt angrily overwhelmed, that he felt terribly impotent, and his response was to sink into a significant depression for the first time ever in his life. He had no productive way to move into his world and to deal with it, and so he got depressed. Is that behind depression? What he did, his solution, and I don't say this to laugh at this gentleman, I say this to bring out a point about all of us, what his solution, he told my friend, is he went to the video store that afternoon, and literally, this is not just a made-up story for the sake of a men's seminar, literally what he did is he went and he got two or three John Wayne movies and a couple of war films. Brought them home and spent about three or four hours that night watching these movies, and by the time the movies had been watched, he felt terrific. His depression was gone, and he hasn't been depressed ever since. Who needs me, you know? <laughs> Video stores will do it. The opportunities are limitless there. Did something in him come alive? Now listen carefully. It could be heard as a silly point. I don't mean it's a silly point. Did something in him come alive with the idea that if he took on his world, he could win? Does something in his, in his soul come alive with the idea, if I actually were to become aggressive and to do something, was there a restored confidence that if I move into my world, there's a point to it and something good could happen and my impact could be felt and I could be recognized for having had the effect I desire? Was there renewed hope in the possibility of aggressive impact that stirred him out of his depression? Another friend, friend of mine was chatting with a fellow. A fellow I don't know, but my friend was telling me the story about this guy who one night in his home at about, I don't know what time it was, late at night, he heard a scream from the neighbor's house where a single mother lived. And this young fellow, maybe 30, 35, old, 35 years old, ran across to the house next door where the single mother was, um, was sobbing, screaming hysterically. And he went into the house and said, what's wrong? She was screaming. She was sobbing. And she blurted out in the middle of her tears. She said, some man literally just a moment ago came in and I saw and, and took my little my little five year old daughter and took her out of the house. My child's been kidnapped. And when this guy heard that, he, he quick called the police and then he, he ran out of the house because it had just happened a few moments ago and he thought maybe he could find uh, this, this horrible kidnapper and, and get hold of him. And so he ran toward the neighborhood park, having no idea what direction to go, but he ran to a park in the area where these folks lived. And as he got to the park and he began to walk around very carefully and very slowly looking to see if he could he, see any evidence of the kidnapper and this little girl, he heard some noises behind a bush, some rustling, and he had a flashlight with him and he kind of snuck over there and pulled back the bush and shined the flashlight. And this actually happened now. There was a guy in the middle of a sex act with that five-year-old girl. What do you do at that moment, gentlemen? What comes up inside of you? Doesn't something feel good? What he did was he grabbed that guy off the girl, and she was just sobbing, of course, a little girl, just scared out of her mind for these horrible things that were being done to her. And as he picked her up to comfort her, the guy took off and ran away, and he restored the girl to her mother and uh, 
The aftermath of that is, of course, the help was received that needed to be, and the girl was, was held very tightly by mother and restored. But you know what he said after that incident? He said the number of people who heard that story who were furious at him for not beating that guy into a pulp. He never experienced such hostility from people. You had that guy, and you didn't bash his teeth in? You didn't bloody him? What's the matter? A good friend of his who was illegal and in the legal field said to him that had you beaten that guy to a pulp, there wouldn't be a judge in the country that would punish you for that. Why? Any of us at the core of our being, and we're all socialized, we've all been raised essentially by women. Most of us have. We've all, as a result of the feminist movement, have learned something that we're not supposed to be aggressive, we're supposed to be nurturing. Uh, we're supposed to receive as much joy out of bottle feeding our child as our wife feels in breastfeeding. We're supposed to be as excited about domestic opportunities because we're the new men. The feminist movement says we're not different. There's no differences in male and female. Why can't we all just share responsibilities equally? Why can't we get involved in certain opportunities and, and realize that there's no essential differences in men and women? And as a result of becoming socialized men and nourishing men and nurturing men and gentle men and sweet men, are we losing something? Anybody that wants to beat up somebody and be able to call it good? Somebody that you could be guaranteed to win 